the analogy that really resonates with me, Nico, is the needle in the haystack. And for me, the hay is all of the noise. And when you're looking at a large portfolio of assets, there's a lot of noise. There are a lot of nuisance alerts. There are a lot of emails that are triggered. And there's a lot of time and energy and effort that goes into figuring out what is noise and what is not noise. That proverbial needle is the actionable issue. And again, if you've got a large portfolio of assets, there are needles inside of that haystack. And the challenge is in finding them. Market by market, the solar industry is crossing the chasm from early adopters to the early mass market. And one thing is clear. What got us here won't get us there. The days of installation crews doing their own service work are nearly non-existent. And today, customers expect more. The truth is, traditional operations and maintenance is, well, reactive. The future of solar is proactive. I'm Nico Johnson, host of Suncast, where I've interviewed hundreds of clean energy leaders in an effort to guide your career and company through this energy transformation. This is our latest educational series, and it's focused on how we can leverage the post-installation customer experience to move beyond simple O&M and find meaningful ways to delight and entice the next wave of clean energy enthusiasts through proactive engagement. In this episode one of the series, Dave Kenny, co-founder and CTO of Omnidian, provides his perspective on the evolution of solar as an asset class through the lens of his deep experience in building operations and fleet management for both utility-scale solar portfolios and national residential solar leaders such as Sunrun. Dave presents compelling data that underscores the need for a more robust customer service experience. And he also illuminates the opportunities available for enterprising entrepreneurs to leverage that data and the evolving internet of things to deliver on that customer experience at scale. Whether you're experiencing the pains of a growing solar business or just starting out and want to learn from the pros, I hope you'll subscribe to the show and join in this important conversation as we explore the future of solar. The Beyond O&M series is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you in partnership with Omnidian. How important was the work that you did at Nexent and Navigant ahead of the photo-audio years, like ahead of really getting into solar? In what ways was it formational? As I think about a career, how a career unfolds and career goals and where you want to go and whatnot, it strikes me that for me, at any given point in time, it has been very challenging to look forward and say, this is what I want to do. This is where I'm going. But it's been very easy to turn around and look backwards and connect the dots and understand how you got from point A to point B. And with the passage of some additional time here and some additional perspective, I think what's really going on there is the idea of building your own narrative. Like, who are you? What do you believe? What do you want to do generally? And if you have a sense for those things, then sure, you can turn around and explain how you got from A to B. And you can turn around and look forward and say, I may not know where I'm going to be in five years, but I know directionally the path that I'm on and where that path is leading. And for me, uh, some of those consistent themes were kilowatt hours, 
So I came out of an engineering program and through that engineering program really had a lot of focus on just problem solving, breaking down topics, understanding them and figuring out how to approach solutions and leverage that through the first couple of roles there. I had a thermodynamics textbook on my desk and I had to open it each week <laughs> to like open an equation or something. And, you know, fast forward to today, I don't have the thermodynamics textbook anymore, but I'm still thinking about kilowatt hours and still thinking about problems and solutions to problems and breaking down ideas. Um, and that's been very consistent. And then the other point of consistency has been in building something. So going all the way back to Renewable Ventures, I joined the team there before the MMA acquisition, spun out of that and helped start Metris and uh, jumped out of that and helped build uh, the Sunrun operational platform. And and through all of that, it was early stage contributions to building something new. At what point did trying to ensure that what the engineering team and the sales team had created, the asset was delivering, at what point did that it's come to be a, a common theme of the work that you were doing? It was certainly relevant back in my earlier career, even on the demand side of the industry, uh, thinking about things like measurement and verification protocols. There was always a consistent theme of understanding and validating the performance of energy systems. I think tying that back to our discussion here to Omnidian, there is a connection back to the, the founding story in that early on at Sunrun, we were attempting to build out a strategy and approach to managing a portfolio of distributed residential energy assets, solar assets. And if you just think about kind of first order engineering principles that are at play there, there's an energy input, photons from sun, and an energy output, kilowatt hours uh, delivered to grid and to home. And there's a bunch of uh, efficiencies and translations in between there. But if you really step back and think about it, it's photons to kilowatt hours. And at that point in time, both at Sunrun and across the whole industry, there was no concept of understanding energy input, the photons that are going in. And uh, Mark Lifman at CPR, Clean Power Research, had a product that allowed a distributed energy owner to understand that uh, input side of the equation and was selling that as a service. And that's, that's how I first crossed paths with Mark. And Mark was surprised to hear that we weren't in a position to buy that service. We had other priorities that we needed to tackle before we were in a place where we were even sophisticated enough to accept that as an entry uh, data point. And that really created the initial observation that there was really an opportunity to do something different and better in the market. You know, I think that a lot of folks might find it surprising, the notion that the largest companies in the industry are at a time, you know, we're talking early teens, sort of right around the time for folks to put you in place of the ARA, the real beginning of the boom years for solar, the real beginning of structural growth of Sunrun and many of its competitors, that there weren't these sort of core components on the team of asset management. Why do you suppose this concept of asset management, even the concept of how to effectively measure yield, and especially for residential customers versus utility, like what you're working on with Renewable Ventures, was an afterthought at that point in the industry, and in many ways remains so? I mean, not to be too 
cheeky or pessimistic. These entities in the industry have learned to solve problems sequentially as they present themselves. And if you just think about the life cycle of an individual asset, even, you've got to uh, generate some awareness, some interest in the product. You've got to figure out what the product is. You've got to sell the product. You've got to onboard, build the system. You've got to finance the system. And then you've got to operate it somehow. And those things run sequentially for an individual asset. They have run sequentially across the industry as well. The industry got good at selling. The industry at that point in time was not really good at installing. You'd have installers up on the roof with a drill, drilling pilot holes to find rafters and leaving unsealed pilot holes behind. There was a point in time when that was considered standard practice. And it took a few years, but the industry got that figured out. And the industry got good at uh, structuring finance solutions around all of this to drive down the cost of capital. The industry got good at figuring out what to do with service agreement transfers. Uh, The reality is people don't stay in their homes for 20 years. That was not appreciated back in the beginning. So now you've got this buzzword of service transfers. The industry got good at that. And downstream of all of that, you've got the, the actual underlying performance of the asset. Is the thing communicating data? Is the thing generating units of energy? If yes and yes, are the amount of uh, units generated equal to what they should be? And the industry is now tackling that. That's what we're focused on exclusively here at Omnidian. So I think part of the question as framed might be interpreted as, well, geez, guys, (laughs) come on, industry. Why didn't you get that 10, 15 years ago? I think another another way of framing that is, good job, industry. You've made it through all of these challenges and solved them as you uh, encountered them and working through the latest one. Around 2016, maybe a little sooner, help me understand sort of the state of the market as you saw it. You are now running fleet operations for Sunrun, has become the largest uh, residential provider in the US. And the industry is sort of starting to mature into, if we put it into the, the terms of book crossing the chasm, sort of the early adopters, not the early majority, which is where the chasm exists, but we've passed the innovators and early adopters are really starting to sign on. What did you observe at that point that fostered the idea that you needed to step out and scrap the entrepreneurial itch and solve more problems than you were able to from within the home you had found for for five plus years? I am very proud of what we built at Sunrun And without introducing too much hubris to the conversation, we had built something good. There was operational machinery that was up and running and taking care of assets. Now, with that said, there was a dose of duct tape and bubble gum underneath the hood, keeping that together. And after years in that role, had come to cross paths with other folks at other organizations who had a similar mandate And I had a view into how sophisticated and successful their efforts had been. And there were some gaps there across the industry. And the basic reality was, and I think 
to a large extent still is, that these developer organizations are valued and should be valued on incremental sales and installation activity. And that's where the resources go. And that uh, might sound uh, pessimistic or like a, a sad worldview, but it also creates a big opportunity in the industry to understand what the right model is to manage, maintain, and optimize these assets and turn it into a more dedicated service offering that is fundamentally aligned with the business model and uh, get away from the idea that you have to trade and prioritize investments in platform capability between sales, installation, and operations. If If you break that paradigm then all of a sudden, all of your resources, all of your focus are going into operating these assets. And it really opens, opens up the, the team to have some focus and make some progress that was otherwise challenging to make. Dave, I think it's fair to say that you've been one of the instrumental players in helping create a, a foundation upon which not just processes and programs, but even technological innovation have been able to be tested and grow. And as best I can tell, you've been doing this for a decade. What about the industry as the solar industry evolves? What still excites you now with regards to making sure that what we put out on the kitchen table and what we put out on the boardroom table is what we deliver to the customer so that we can actually grow this industry at the accelerated rate we all believe is possible? It's a great question, Nico. And I think there's a certain ground truth that I have seen over time and still holds true for me and makes me excited to continue to be a part of this industry and and focus on this niche in in O&M and performance management. And that is that, you know, number one, these distributed energy assets are expensive. They cost a lot of money. Cost structure is coming down, so we're getting better at that. But the proposition to an individual homeowner is still an intimidating one of tens of thousands of dollars. So we're talking about real money here. And the assets that we're deploying as an industry generate real commodity value to justify that investment. And that's that's great news, right? So homeowners are buying less kilowatt hours from their utility. They're saving real money. And number three, these assets periodically break. We have, I think, to a large extent, moved away as an industry from the talking point. There are no moving parts. So what what on earth could happen? We all know that's not true. And especially from a uh, professional operator perspective, you get hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of these assets together. And every single day, you're seeing performance problems. It's just a, a reality of how these systems behave. And so they break. And number four, the folks who are generally charged with the responsibility of managing the performance of these assets are not well-equipped to the task. They're missing some key ingredient. It could be time. It could be access to information. It could be motivation. But something's missing. 
And that applies to individual homeowners who finance their systems with cash or loans. And it also applies to the big institutional developers who have huge portfolios but are really focused on sales and install activity. So when I step back and and you just think about those four basic observations, it really creates an opportunity for the industry to think about it differently and approach it differently and try to get ahead of some of these problems and be more proactive and just take a fundamentally different approach. The analogy that really resonates with me, Nico, is the needle in the haystack. And for me, the hay is all of the noise. And when you're looking at a large portfolio of assets, there's a lot of noise. There are a lot of nuisance alerts. There are a lot of emails that are triggered. And there's a lot of time and energy and effort that goes into figuring out what is noise and what is not noise. That proverbial needle is the actionable issue. And again, if you've got a large portfolio of assets, there are needles inside of that haystack. And the challenge is in finding them. And there are a lot of different ways of approaching that. You can throw people at the problem. You can uh, throw creative thinking at the problem. And you can throw technology at the problem. And that problem space is particularly well-suited for a technology-forward solution to help operators weed through the hay to find those needles. If you approach it right, you can really make some progress with uh, software and code and data science to more effectively find performance issues within a fleet of assets, characterize their root cause, and prioritize a response and suggest appropriate next steps. Dave, I'm going to see if I can thread the needle here because it's profound for me to hear someone with such a depth of experience construct for me the vision of where you see the industry can go and is going. And in many ways, because of the kind of technology-enabled approaches that you see possible now, I can only assume that back in 2010, the things that you're doing now simply weren't possible. I'm going to come back to that with you in a second, but I want to make sure for the sake of internalizing what you said, there are generally four tenets to how you think about the asset in terms of distributed generation. It's expensive, and that certainly is qualifiable. It generates a commodity. In so doing, it periodically breaks. And up to now, we've left the repair of any breakage therein to people who may or may not have the right tools at hand and certainly are doing so in a, in a relatively reactive way. When something breaks, we will go fix it sort of fashion. Is that accurate up to now? Uh, it's accurate at the risk of being too nitpicky. For me, it's broader than the repair. We haven't left people to be responsible for the repair. We've left them to be responsible for the management of the performance of the asset. Repairing it when it's broken is a key part of that. But upstream of that, there's the awareness contextually that there's even a problem in the first place. And you hear horror stories around even folks who who are in the industry who have systems on their roof and systems go off and they're off for months before they, they know it. And you only know it after you get a really big utility bill and you scratch your head and you say, I'm not supposed to have a big utility bill. I have solar. 
and you walk out into the garage and you see that the thing's off. That actually really helps me a lot in terms of framing the the conversation that I wanted to to get to with you from a perspective of where technology brings us. Because to your point, well done industry for getting this many assets deployed in as quick a job as quick a time as we have. And the pace of acceleration is only getting faster. But the reality is actually the promise we're making to legislators, to homeowners, to generations coming after us is that these assets are going to offset kilowatt hours otherwise generated by fossil fuels. And, and to your point, if a system's off for a month or a day, not only is it breaking a financial model, but it's breaking a promise we made to future generations that we won't be using fossil fuels to generate electricity. So how has, in the ways to approach issues, people, creative thinking, and technology, what are ways that you have seen smart people uh, thinking creatively begin to leverage technology? And I'm, I have to assume you're using, you mean like being able to filter two, three decades worth of understanding about how solar works and what things are prone to go wrong and integrating it into the ML and AI technology that is now available that wasn't available, frankly, when you and I got in the solar industry. Could you unpack that a bit for me in terms of how that gets packaged now into software that can help us kind of see the future? Sure. You got a a few different parts there, and I'll try to remember to touch on both of them here. Following your lead. (laughs) The first piece of the puzzle there, and hopefully this isn't too abstract, but at a conceptual level, there are two different topologies to approaching monitoring and issue detection. There is one approach where you can tune into the uh, notification stream that is coming off of individual components. So uh, inverters these days are sophisticated components and they have alarms and they'll send off alarms. One approach is to uh, tap into that data stream and figure out how to filter through the noise, because there's a lot of it, and find the notifications that are actionable. Another approach distinct from that is to uh, ignore that data feed, essentially, and think instead about kilowatt hours that are being generated. You've got actual kilowatt hours generated over some unit of time, and you have expected kilowatt hours that are generating generated. Those expected kilowatt hours are a function of actual weather conditions on site, the design attributes of the system, the array, and a production model, a simulation engine. If you can get that right, then you can do a lot with it because now you understand actual kilowatt hours, expected kilowatt hours. You can look at the variance between that. You can look at the derivative function over time of those trends And you can develop pattern recognition around what different signatures in that time series data look like and what they represent. And of course, the most powerful approach would be to leverage both and to combine both of these strategies into an integrated approach of issue detection. And then uh, I mentioned there were two things. I'm now remembering the second piece of the puzzle, which is around closing the loop with the operational experience of actions taken in the past. So uh, if you can codify the historical record of service activity and you can connect previous service events to the anomalies that you observed and flagged in the time series data, 
Now you have the perfect ingredients for a data science solution to look in at those uh, data sets as training data to build out models that can do better at predicting those issues in the future. So where do the data sets come from and how much data is required for the models to become predictive in a way that is useful to, I'll call it financial institutions and asset owners? Listen, I'm not a data scientist either, but my colloquial understanding is that it's all about pattern recognition. So you've got some established truth around a series of inputs and events that are correlated to each other. If you can build that out over time and feed it back into your data science program, your initiative, your team, then you can begin to build models that uh, predict those correlations in the future based on similar points of initiation or, or similar anomalies in that time series data. Help me understand the magnitude of data and uh, team required to start to really put this, to really close the loop that you just mentioned, codify all this activity. Yeah, magnitude is a, a good angle there. Uh, the diversity of the data is another good one. In terms of magnitude, you know, we're looking at over 100,000 years of asset year production data. We're looking at tens of thousands of field service events and the correlations between them. We have found in that data that there's a lot of variance across different attributes. So things like uh, location, where assets are based, things like uh, installer who built them, the inverter manufacturer, the module manufacturer, the age of the asset. Our industry has a lot of rule of thumb assumptions based on system age. Uh, for example, a lot of project finance models continue to assume that all string inverters magically fail at the end of year 10 and are replaced in year 11. We know that's not true in practice, but we do know that you know, upwards of 25-30% of systems will have a problem in the first five years, and 50% will have a problem in the first 10 years. Yeah, so you, you can start to see that. And thinking back to module manufacturers, we as an industry make some simplifying assumptions around performance degradation, and we reference uh, lab uh, studies that look at the chemistry of module performance over time and how that chemistry breaks down. And we use numbers like 0.5% per year degradation across all markets. But I can tell you the soiling effect in the Central Valley of California is a hell of a lot different than it is on the East Coast. And I can tell you that even after controlling for that, the degradation by module manufacturer varies by 3x from best to worst. So there's a lot of nuance and, uh, and ultimately value in understanding asset performance if you can get your hands on that data to then uh, leverage at point of sale when you're underwriting uh, guarantees and, uh, and financing and building this stuff. I think I could have a lot of fun here just sort of teasing out some of the ways that access to that data can really inform the certainty of a bid, the certainty. Uh, and 
I come from a world where we were bidding large utility projects and uh, having also built a solar business on based on residential and small CNI, the access to data was just unfair at the utility level, right? Like when you were at Renewable Venture, when I was at Conergy, like I'm paying thousands of dollars for LIDAR at the one meter level that like none of my colleagues in the country of Panama had access to because they never would have paid that much for the data, despite the fact it exists. And that's part of the value of the growing industry. As you mentioned earlier, we got 3 million of these residential assets out there. Each one on a standalone basis is its own asset. But in abstract, they're also proxies for one another. They're essentially weather proxies for one another. So if you zoom in on Santa Clara County and look at one particular asset and want to understand how it's doing, all of the other thousand assets in that same zip code are indicators to you to explain how the asset of question is behaving. So you're right, Nico, 10, 15 years ago, people were spending a lot of money for weather resource data, installing ground stations to, uh, to site utility scale projects. But we're now in a different position, and we now have the ability to leverage the operational history of the industry to really inform our understanding of how these systems should be behaving going forward. One of the things that impressed me when I was kind of learning a bit about the Omnidian platform is the level of, uh, now I understand a whole lot more, sophistication around the ability to be proactive, the ability to actually identify these performance issues before they happen. Can you unpack for me a little bit what that actually looks like in service? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off script here and, and course correct on the question. So if you're in a factory, if you're making carpets in a factory, you're looking at runtime on machines and you're doing some math to predict when a machine will break before it breaks and you're servicing it that weekend ahead of a breakage, that's the idea of predictive, right? We're not doing that in solar. This is proactive in the sense that we are uh, paying attention and we are actively reacting to, but in all cases, we're reacting to a failure that has occurred and finding it quickly and initiating a response quickly. I think there's a couple of things I want to just clarify, make sure I'm clear on and, and maybe even get some insight from you on, but it does sound like with over a hundred thousand years of data, the ability to correlate symptoms, kind of like a doctor can say, I think we may have found something here, even though it would have eventually manifest itself in something more dire, so to speak. It's kind of like that having a stethoscope on the system and it gives you insight into, and it allows what might be termed proactive action on the part of the person or entity monitoring the system. I'm curious if you have any performance metrics around with this sum of data, the ability to provide what is essentially like real-time reactivity versus sort of waiting around, like like I said before, the Maytag repairman to hear that something has gone wrong, which is the, I think the purpose of the foundational understanding of how this collection of data can provide greater insights. The reference to the Maytag repairman, I think, is a good one, Nico, and helps frame up the the topic and really the opportunity here. As an industry, we don't want uh, asset owners to have to play the role 
of finding a problem and picking up the phone and calling to ask for support and service. Imagine a world where the phone rings and you answer the phone and the person at the other end of the phone tells you that your asset has recently had a performance problem, that the problem is associated with a particular root cause, and that we can either help you troubleshoot and resolve the issue live on the phone, schedule a time at your convenience to have that call, or schedule at your convenience uh, service work to have somebody come out to your uh, facility, to your home, to your site, and fix the problem for you. That's the experience that we're looking for. And you know we've got a couple hundred uh, reviews now that have built up over time. And a lot of them are five-star reviews. We've got a 4.7 average star rating. And you look at those five-star reviews and you think about what's behind them. There are three things behind those five-star reviews. Number one, someone else found the problem. Number two, someone else helped facilitate a resolution to that problem. And number three, there was uh, great communication across that experience. If you get those three things right, you build up a portfolio of these five-star reviews and really start to change the paradigm of how assets can be managed in the industry. David also helps to reinforce the original promise made that for years we've said you set it and forget it. And while we know by the data you presented earlier that there's a variance across even tier one modules, but there is invariably breakage in the system. And by breakage, we mean that it doesn't hit the mark. Either the inverter goes out or something causes there to be a deficit in kilowatt hours created. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right, the ultimate reason that anybody goes solar beyond just a sense of personal security or resilience or sort of getting off of uh, some sort of central generation technology, it is to save money. It is to be able to be in control of that asset, to be able to know and have more certainty about that, to make it a capex instead of a variable expense, right? And I think one of the things that I'd like to explore with you is when we think about installers, service people, promise makers, project developers, being the ones who up to now have either have had to deploy their own resources to go and respond to these projects, uh, kind of a couple things have happened. The, they've sent maybe the wrong people, uh, but also they've sent the wrong people or even the right people at the wrong times for the wrong types of alerts, not because they are willing to just throwing money out the window, but because they didn't have access to enough data. Can you talk a bit about the ability to get more granular and at the end of the day, actually provide not just better service to the client, but better service in the industry that makes everything more efficient from a dollar spent perspective so that the promise is kept in, and we and we actually keep the right people in the right jobs. Yeah, the anecdotes are are deep, right? You've got examples across the board from residential to small commercial and even large commercial. We've recently worked through a variety of uh, commercial assets with uh, problems with SEL relays. SEL is a manufacturer of a particular component. It's a smart component. It is. They're configured with intelligence to react and behave in certain ways and occasionally are programmed incorrectly. So 
if you have some awareness around the fact that they're tripping off and uh, how they were uh, incorrectly originally programmed and how they could be programmed, there's a path forward there to avoid that issue in the future. On the residential side, there are a lot of issues that uh, certainly require field service intervention. You've got to have a tech on site with the appropriate parts. And there we're thinking about things like how many truck rolls does it take to resolve a problem? If you can get somebody out on site with the the right parts the first time, then that's a better experience for the asset owner because now you're getting the problem solved the first time. Also, a lot of issues that don't require that on-site intervention where you can interact with the site host or the homeowner and help troubleshoot and resolve uh, remotely and uh, help get systems back up and running. So if you can do that quickly, you're, again, delivering a a better uh, client experience, and you're also helping pull down the overall cost structure across the industry of of O&M by avoiding that truck roll. Dave, there's something that stands out for me because as the industry scales, as more and more people want to install solar, you have the sun runs of the world that become multi-state, nationwide, Sunova, et cetera. Developers start to develop in multiple regions and it becomes really complex to wrap your head around how to operate in multiple jurisdictions. It seems like the data that you're talking about, the, the ability to aggregate this data, it necessarily comes from multiple actors in the marketplace. Can you talk a bit about how you've seen the industry start to aggregate not just data, but services in a way that is complementary to the kind of scale we want to see in the industry? Well, it, it reminds me a bit, Nico, of our, uh, our introductory remarks here a week or two ago and getting ready for the discussion in that, uh, you, you know, a- aggregation, I think is the right word. If the industry can aggregate enough service volume in an area and create demand for, uh, for field service work, then businesses will develop to meet that demand. And uh, 10 years ago, our industry wasn't at the point where there was enough aggregated demand for service work to justify that piece of the industry. Um, Fast forward to where we are today, there's a lot of service work out there. And by extension, there are a lot of service vendors who have... Uh, who have established themselves to meet that need. And that service vendor profile is very diverse. You've got uh, individuals in niche markets rendering niche services all the way up to nationwide players who are in multiple markets. Um, And if you're building out a portfolio of assets, you want to figure out how you can plug into that ecosystem and how you can uh, aggregate enough volume within that ecosystem to become relevant and uh, access uh, performance and price that works for your model. Um, and uh, and if you don't have that volume yourself, you know how are, how are you going to get to that volume? How, how are you going to plug into a strategy that allows you to uh, essentially ride on the coattails of that broader industry trend. You mentioned vertical disaggregation. That's something we've talked about a bit before here. And there's a lot of tangential benefits that come with that. 
Omnidian is in the role of really focusing more on the O&M strategy side. And as that piece of the industry evolves and becomes more sophisticated, we've got a view into O&M strategy that can now begin to inform point-of-sale development and project finance decisions and can start to look at things like how preventative maintenance schedules for commercial assets vary by location and uh, site conditions. Things like vegetation control vary dramatically across the country. Uh, Prices vary dramatically across the country. We've worked with over 200 different field service vendors now and have a view into how uh, pricing and performance uh, vary over markets and by asset type. So you can start to take advantage uh, of some of that at point of sale. And, you know, we were talking about aggregation before. You can start to aggregate and see benefits of that where you're in a market and have enough service work to fully utilize a, uh, a partner or multiple partners, you can now do things uh, more creatively to assign work into that resource base and extract concessions in the form of performance commitments, turnaround time, and pricing. And you can reflect that back all the way upstream to point of sale as you're underwriting, uh, underwriting the development of these assets. And what I hear is reflecting them back all the way to the point of sale. I'll just say in parentheses with certainty, right? Because what you reflected on earlier is this reality in the bid rooms that we do make a lot of assumptions in the sales process, not just assumptions around the yield, assumptions around the degradation of the module and the soiling relative to where the asset's going to be placed, but things like O&M cost, especially as someone starts to, to bid projects and opportunities outside of their core regional zone of expertise. It sounds like the ability to have have sort of tap into this data can give a whole lot more certainty around the the operational side of the business. It's not a question mark. There's a lot of certainty when you can when you can tap into that network. We haven't had a, a chance to really dig into the product side of the business, but n- now we're starting to flirt on the topic of the performance guarantee itself. And if you just step back and think about you know what these assets are and what's being financed, you've got uh, credit risk. Is your counterparty going to pay you? You've got production risk. Is the asset generating enough production? to spin off the AR revenue that you think it should, and what's the cost structure to operate it and maintain it. And so if you can begin to carve out performance risk and O&M cost structure risk, then you can start to do things upstream of that in the project finance discussions to make your cost of capital more effective and compelling as you shift those risks around. Dave, I'm starting to really appreciate the direction that asset management is headed and in particular what it means in the form of customer satisfaction, not just customer service. So I want to ask a final question to wrap our conversation today, and it's tied back to the title of the series. What does it mean to go beyond O&M? Can you give me your vision for the future of solar and how exactly you see companies evolving in order to thrive and really truly cross the chasm themselves and help consumers cross it as well. Well, it reminds me 
of uh, an old adage that our uh, chief marketing officer, Brad Davis, has instilled across the company, which is at the end of the day, what we're really selling is trust. That's true here at Omnidia. It's true for the industry. If we as an industry have the trust of the consumer, whether that's retail residential consumers or uh, institutional and enterprise commercial customers, if we have the trust that these assets will do what they're supposed to do and really generate a return on the investment, unlock flexibility in energy procurement, and help us drive progress in this broader front on climate change, then we, as an industry, are positioned to really drive even more accelerated growth across the country. You know, we mentioned before we're at 3 million of these assets. The second million came online faster than the first. The third million came on faster than the second. And the next million is going to happen in the snap of a finger as long as we continue to maintain the trust of the, uh, the purchasing party. That's what this is all about, right? Delivering an experience to these folks that is uh, above and beyond what they're expecting and tying that back to the Maytag repairman, it's the phone call that rings and calls you to say, hey, there's a problem and here's the solution and here's how it's going to go. And so there's just a real big opportunity here ahead of us to really continue to drive progress. And it's clear that progress is being made and it is coming in the form of data, parsing that data and leveraging the decades of experience of the many, many entrepreneurs on whose shoulders we stand, not the least of which I'm proud to say are yours. Dave, you've had an illustrious career thus far and the work that you're doing is exciting and it's not in vain. It is actually in, it is in service of helping the industry that you've been a part of for so long actually achieve the level of maturity that we all know it's going to take to, to cross that chasm and to be mainstream and to, and to delight customers in the way that modern mainstream product and service oriented companies do. Thanks for helping us understand the view from inside. Listen, Nico, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. Been a big fan of what you've created here. You're one of the giants that you're speaking of. Uh, congratulations again on making it to the 500th episode. And there's nobody uh, we would trust more to explore the narrative here and really looking forward to seeing where, where the series takes us and what we learn. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode in this six-part series exploring the future of solar from the Promise Keepers, helping the solar industry cross the chasm and reach mass market success. Many thanks to the expert contributors sharing their insights in this series and to our partner Omnidian who helped make it possible. Here's a quick peek at what's coming in the next episode. In an effort to better serve our customers and get out of the flipping assets business, in 2019, we spun out of General Electric and created Distributed Solar Development, where our core competency and core business is taking care of assets stem to stern. You know, originate, design, construct, commission, and then turning over to asset management, where we own and operate the asset for the lifetime of its useful life. 
I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the web at mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar, where you can learn more about each guest and dig into the references highlighted in today's conversation. If you're completely unfamiliar with Suncast, well, I'm honored that you've listened all the way through this episode. I've interviewed hundreds of founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the clean energy industry over the last seven years in an effort to help you figure out exactly where you fit in the clean energy transition. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to give other Suncast episodes a listen. It's the most comprehensive podcast in existence documenting the rise of the solar and clean energy revolution from the voices of the leaders brave enough to stand on the front lines. Beyond O&M, The Future of Solar is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you by Omnidian. They'd also love to partner with you in scaling your solar business. Find out how by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.